You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I am interviewing Hunter Harris. Now, many of you know I absolutely love TV. Like, I love TV. That is the way that I unwind at the end of the day. I also love talking about TV. So over the years, I have followed the writing of Hunter Harris. She writes about TV shows like Succession, which I love, but it's kind of putting it mildly to say she just writes about these shows like, for example... For succession, HBO flew her out to Tuscany to cover the season finale at Villa Centinale, which also happens to be where I got married. She writes about Euphoria, but not only does she write about Euphoria, she's interviewed Zendaya before. Like she is doing it at an extremely high level. She's young, but she's already a legend in the game. I bet Hunter will even write her own show one day. She's also created this incredible Substack newsletter. And again, you guys know I've talked to my friend Darian, who's a beauty journalist, about just the way journalists are changing up their revenue streams and not necessarily relying on an outlet, but publishing their own work. I think that's very inspiring for writers that are listening to this podcast. And you know, I love a bit of celebrity gossip. I mean, who doesn't? But I was excited to ask her about interviewing Miss Julia Fox, which she just did here in New York. She was Kanye West's girlfriend for like 10 minutes. But I do think there's something interesting about Julia Fox, and I think she's going to be around for a while in terms of being in the public eye. She also interviewed Lori Harvey. So I'm like talking to her about what Lori Harvey had to say about her skincare line, which to this day, I have not heard from anyone that has tried that skincare line. If you've tried it, please DM me on Naked Beauty Planet. I would love to know your thoughts. These celebrity skincare lines are honestly, they're getting very exhausting. And I think the skincare and beauty community it's just really over it because I think we are passionate about skincare for a reason. And we know that so many of these founders have poured years and years of their life into developing products and figuring out the best formulation. So when you see a celebrity who just swoops in with a ton of funding, it feels very inauthentic. And it also just means that there's like less space, less room for the people that have really been working hard at it for years. In the past few weeks, Scarlett Johansson has released a skincare line. Idris Elba has released one. Winnie Harlow has released one. Uh, John Legend has a skincare line. Like, do these celebrities even use this skincare? Idris Elba, for example, if I was on his team, I would say, you need to do beard care. Like, look at that glorious beard. I'm sure there are a ton of men and women that would buy for men in their lives a beard care line. 
I think, you know, skincare made a lot of sense for Pharrell because he has that gorgeous skin. John Legend could have done a lot. When I think of John Legend, no shade. I don't think he does have good skin, but I don't think about his skin necessarily. He has a gorgeous smile. Maybe he should have done a toothpaste. I think that would have been really interesting. I have lots of ideas for ways that celebrities can diversify their income streams in a way that feels authentic. But skincare is just like not it. It's not it. And I think a really untapped market for a celebrity is maybe they should start endorsing like Botox or Restylane or just being transparent about what injections they're using, because that's really what makes them look really good. We talk about the morning show on Apple TV in this podcast, which was my introduction to Jennifer Aniston. I know everyone else knows Jennifer Aniston very well, but her face looks great. And I'm sure she's tinkered here and there, but she looks really good. I think if she disclosed what she was using, that would be a very interesting um, beauty campaign. And I also do feel like there aren't as many Black women involved in this celebrity skincare conversation as I would like. Gabrielle Union, who's been on this podcast, I'd love a skincare line from her. I also think about someone like Angela Bassett, who did partner with Dr. Barbara Sturm for the darker skin tones line, but I don't know if she gets ongoing revenue from that. Like Angela Bassett, I would be interested to know what your skincare routine is, and I would invest there. Now, Kalise is interesting. Kalise is doing cool things with skincare, and that's actually like a great target guest to have on the show. Wouldn't you guys love to hear from Kalise? That would be a dream. Anyway... Those are just some random thoughts I'm having about celebrity skincare. Spring is almost here. I'm very excited about it. I'm going to try to do a live show. So make sure you're following at Naked Beauty Planet for details. I'll try to announce a date in the next few weeks. I'm thinking end of April, May. Just get everyone together for a fun live show. I think that could be wonderful. All right, let's get into the episode with Hunter. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I am joined by Hunter Harris. Hunter, welcome to Naked Beauty. Thank you. I'm such a stan. I'm so excited. Well, I am a huge fan of your work, and I feel like we have very similar television tastes, but you, of course, elevate the discourse by writing about TV, but I feel like low-key, you are a beauty girl. Like, I, Even people don't talk about beauty. I can like tell when people are like low-key beauty girls. So like, I'm so excited to hear all about your skincare. I love this. What's this lip gloss you're wearing? Ami Cole, of course. Like of course. the only lip gloss I like. And you know, like you can just tell it's like it's such the best product. <laughs> it's so good. That lip oil. I was just in LA and 
my girlfriend, she we went to her house and she had this like huge package from Ami Kalei. I was like, oh, what all did you order? She's like, just five of the lip oils. So I'm never without them. <laughs> and I'm like, they need to actually introduce a subscription plan with that lip oil. Like I would subscribe. It's honestly becoming like Aquaphor level for me. Like I have Aquaphor in the pocket of like every jeans and every purse. And it's like this lip oil is becoming that, right? I have to have it on me all the time. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. It looks so good. Well, you are a writer and I'm so excited to get into your background as a writer because I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter. I subscribe to your Substack. stack. How, how, how do you describe what you write about? I would say it's sort of generally pop culture stuff. Um, I focus mostly on like movies and TV and music, but I also talk about like reality TV a lot. I talk about memes a lot, just like whatever is trending. But I am, I think, sort of a generalist. If it makes me laugh and like, I'll write about it. If it makes me matter, it makes me like incensed, then I'll write about it. Yes. Yes. And back to us having the same television taste, just give us a rundown of what you're watching right now. Right now, I mean, I am embarrassed but it is love is blind 24 seven for me. I'm so obsessed, but then also like I'm watching, I hate Susie on HBO. That's a really good show. I'm watching, I need to start um, a new Apple TV show that I just heard about. I was going to start Yellowstone. Um, what else am I watching actively though? I mean, I'm always rewatching Curb. I'm always rewatching Veep. I'm always rewatching like Insecure. I'm always rewatching Sex and the City, of course. I have not started and just like that. Honestly, everything I know about that show is like from one of my friends and from your stories. And I don't think I can like bring myself to do it. Yeah, keep the sex in the city memories pure. Love is Blind, what a show. Do you feel like you would be open to doing an experiment like that? 100% absolutely not. Really? Like, there's no way. I could not. Could you? I mean, I I don't like talking about like, emotions on camera that just seems like very awkward to me so I, I could never do the talking heads and then also I could never like date dating is so awkward like I couldn't do it on camera and like watch myself go through the motions of like talking to people like, it just would freak me out oh sure it's interesting when I was thinking like would I do it or not I didn't even add in that like on camera televised element I was just thinking like would I be open to date like dating someone without seeing them and connecting them with them on a personal level, which I feel like I would be open to once you add in being it being televised. Absolutely not. But yeah, Love is Blind is very fascinating. And I do think there are lots of interesting conversations about internalized racism that are brought up when you look at Shake and Deep D. And yeah, Shake was kind of bad start to finish. I sh- we shouldn't spoil it for people that haven't watched, but I have to say, as bad as he is, I do sort of love a true reality villain, like reality TV villain who is just like, will always do like the stupidest, rudest, most disrespectful thing. It feels like early seasons of like housewives or like top model where it's like you're watching truly like bury themselves in like the worst opinions. And it's kind of compelling. But no, he's like a bad guy. He really is. And for people that haven't watched it, I think one of the big talking points between him and this other woman, uh, Deep Deep, that they both bonded over the fact that they had not dated an Indian person, even though they were Indian themselves. He really like went over the top with it by saying, like, I'm not even attracted to brown girls. And it's just I think it's a really interesting conversation about like when you come to a country and whiteness is held up as the beauty standard, and then you're attracted to only white people. Like, what does that say about internalized racism? I just think it's all very interesting. 
Yeah. And I think one more point about Shake specifically is that he seems to like assume this kind of bro culture, like very like raunchy talk in a way that feels like a performance. Like he's sort of out broing even like the broiest guy in the house, who's probably uh, Shane. Even like seeing how other white people reacted to him was like, I don't know. It was like he was like putting on a like assuming an identity that just completely felt wrong to him. Yeah. Yeah. He did not come across as authentic. The other show that I'm sure a lot of people know you for is Succession. You have been one of the most incredible, incredible voices around Succession. And you were even invited to Tuscany, to Italy for the season finale. What was that like just being on location? Okay, wait, we, I have to talk to you about this because you are the only other person I know who has been to that villa and you, you got married there. Yes, Villa Centinale. Isn't it incredibly gorgeous? It's so beautiful. So the only thing I knew really is that I was like going for two weeks and that they were shooting a couple different locations throughout Tuscany, but basically they shot at like that Villa Tuscinale the first week. So it's like every day I was just going there and I had no idea where we were going. And then we pulled up to like, Cause you know, it's like down like a, like a long kind of like dusty road and we pull up and like, we entered the back of the house, which is like kind of the front of the house, but like, like they're both, both sides are beautiful. And I was like stunned. It's so gorgeous. And especially like being made up into like this very like posh English wedding. It was even more beautiful. I feel like then, um, then cause like the, the person who had, I guess, brought this bill to their attention, like to the show's attention, um, who's like a luxury holiday planner. She showed me some other weddings that she'd done there. And like the way that the space can just transform into like this like Dallas bride's wedding, which is like the succession wedding. It was so, so cool. Yes. And I, I can't wait for succession to come back. The other show I love on HBO is industry, which I feel like must be coming back soon. I'm obsessed with industry. Yeah, it is. Another, yes. I think industry is sort of like the B side of succession in a way where it's like about younger people, obviously. Um, but it is so much more about like the mechanics of the business where like succession is like mostly sure about family that I think is like really interesting. Also, I really, since we're talking about industry, I really want one of those purple hoodies that they like wear on the show, like the merch for like that bank that they have. I like, I really want one of those. And I feel like I'm waiting for HBO to release them and they just haven't. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a that's a great idea. I was so excited when I got my Waystar Royco hoodie. I was like, this is incredible merch. They sent me a, um, a barber jacket and I was like, this is so succession. Like it's too much. You got the VIP mailer. I'm jealous. Well, <laughs> I want to hear all about how you grew up and just your early relationships with beauty. Like, where are you from? I'm from Oklahoma. Um, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My family is all still there. What's Oklahoma like? It's like very slow. I didn't grow up in like a super small town. It was like kind of a mid-sized city, Tulsa. It still feels like pretty segregated after like the Greenwood riots. There's nothing like a, like, like the North side of Tulsa is like predominantly black and like the South and like Midtown is like mostly white. And I don't know. I thought it was like a nice place to grow up just because all my family was there. And like, I went to like good schools there, but I was like, always like really wanted to move to New York and really wanted to be a writer and wanted to like live in the city. And so that was kind of where I felt like led or drawn. Yeah. And then I went to college in Boston, um, to Emerson college. And then I moved to New York like the next day, I think. And I've been here ever since. And then I, I, I did spend two months in LA in the fall working on gospel girl, which Living in LA was such a strange time for me, but um, alas. You worked on the Gossip Girl reboot? Yes, I wrote for season two. Interesting. Do you think you would ever be a TV writer full-time? 
Maybe. I mean, I have like so many ideas. I think it's so fun, but it was such a like, speaking of t- running about TV, it was such a like crazy, I guess, turn of events that like I had grown up watching Gossip Girl, got grounded for watching Gossip Girl. Like the most trouble I ever got in, in my adolescence was because of Gossip Girl. And then I like went on set and like wrote about it for New York Magazine. And then Deshaunar Josh, who's like so funny and so like, he just has like these so many ideas. He was like, can you come and write on the show? And I was like, sure, when? And he's like, no, can you be in the room for 12 weeks in LA? And I was like, okay, I guess I'm moving to LA in three days. But anyway. Interesting. Well, I want to go back to Oklahoma for a bit because I think you were the first person I've had on the podcast that is from Oklahoma. And again, this is just like a mythical place to me that I just can't even imagine. Was there access to beauty? I mean, everyone has the internet. You're younger than me as well. So you probably grew up with, you know, going on Tumblr or looking online for beauty inspiration. But did you feel any connection to like a beauty culture in Oklahoma? That's a good question. I mean, really, I feel like the beauty culture in Oklahoma is just like mall culture where like I went to the mall and would go to the clinic counter and like want everything and like fight with my mom and my aunt about like getting more makeup and stuff. But that was like the clo- like it was like very just like mall sort of simple beauty in that way. Yeah. I wasn't like a euphoria team, like really experimenting a lot. I also went to Catholic school and then went to like Episcopalian school. And so they were a bit more strict about like what they would let you do. Like I I I don't think you're like allowed to dye your hair like an unnatural color at my high school, which is like crazy. So I think in that way I felt sort of more like simplistic or like more like plain and how I wanted to experiment. But I think where I like actually did a lot of like trial and error experimentation was in skincare because from the time I was probably 12 or 13, I like started having acne. And then I like did all like the -the over-the-counter stuff. Like I don't think I didn't do was like proactive. I think I tried like everything else. And then I was like talking to one of my friends in class one day and she was like, oh, I have to like go to the dermatologist. I was like, I should go to a dermatologist. And then I like got an Accutane and it was like, that was like really a big moment. And that was when I felt like people weren't talking as much like about skincare. It was more about like, like other sides of beauty, like makeup and like, you know, playfulness. I was really like, oh my gosh, like having clear skin was like really important to me. And it was, there's, I don't know, something like so fun about like trying out different um, products and seeing like what would work for me and seeing like what would give me like go clear up my acne, all of that stuff. I thought was really like, I felt like science in a way. Yeah. I mean, it is science. It is science. And Accutane can be pretty intense. Did you experience all of those like dryness issues? And the thing I had, I would always get nosebleeds. It was so embarrassing. I would, I would get a nosebleed like for, I feel like the two and a half, three years I was on Accutane, I would get nosebleeds like truly once a week. And it was just like everyone in my life, all my friends, all my family knew it was like, just annoying that like I would get a nosebleed based on nothing. Oh my gosh. That's so intense. I didn't know that was a, I didn't know that was a side effect of Accutane, but I do know it's a very intense medication. It's just the dryness. Yeah. The dryness. So you wrote for Gossip Girl, wasn't the best fit for you in terms of living in LA. And then I know you were at New York Magazine for a while and wrote for uh, New York Mag. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit to present day. You recently interviewed Julia Fox. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uncut gems. 
tell me about the experience of interviewing Julia Fox, but also what is it like as a writer when you get assigned a story like that? And like, what was going on in her whole Kanye West saga as you were assigned the story? Sure. Basically how that happened is like, so I'd been at New York Mag for a while and then I'm still like in touch with all the editors there. And so they reached out to me and they were like, we have this opportunity to profile Julia Fox. Like, what do you want to do it? And the only thing is that like, I would say I got the assignment on like a Wednesday and then interviewed her like the next Monday and then had to write it by like that Thursday, that Thursday or Friday. So it was like, it was just like a very quick story. Honestly, I feel like it kind of is of a theme of how everything was for her in like January going into February, right? Like she started dating Connie on New Year's Eve and then they broke up by Valentine's Day. I interviewed her before during Anka Gems and I thought she was like really funny and really like candid and really... um, So you had met her before. Yeah. We didn't have like any sort of relationship. Like I just, I, I knew that she was like a good interview, meaning she wasn't like reticent or cagey and that she was like a conversationalist. And then, yeah, I feel like it was like the most sort of interviewee scene of all time like we went to Gemma in like the middle of the day and there was no one there except for like one couple at the bar um and we just like had pizza and talked and I was wearing jeans and like a like a long sleeve shirt but she was wearing like these like leggings like these stiletto boots and like a hoodie and this like easy gap jacket and I was just like wow she's so like I, I thought it was like a very funny fun outfit for like truly 12 30 on like a Monday. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, you know, Kanye picked the outfit, right? Like you oh, probably oh, styled oh, And her. we talked a lot about that, about how like she really couldn't go like be seen anywhere unless he had like chosen an outfit for her. I get why people feel like she's like annoying or overexposed maybe, but there's something about her that I feel like is so candid and so like refreshing. Yeah. In a way that I, th- I think that like, we're so used to people being managed and being like directed and, and She's just so not like that, that even the things that she says that I think are like, that I disagree with or things that I think are, you know, kind of superficial. I appreciate that. Like she's saying, you know, I, I think she's like very honest in that way. Like I, I don't ever feel like she was like bullshitting me, which I think you, you can get in interviews a lot of the time. Yeah. What's an example of something that she said that you appreciated her saying? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, she said that like she texted her, she's a son, Valentino, who's like one years old. And she texted his dad asking if um, she could have his sperm to have another baby. And he ghosted her. And I was like, that's so crazy. Like, I would never admit that to anyone. She also, she was like, his name is like, my son's name is Valentino, but like my dominatrix name was Valentina. But like, they're not the same. Like I didn't name him after my dominatrix. It just, it was a name that I liked. And I'm like, Julia, <laughs> what? That kind of stuff I feel like is like, in an era of like super managed celebrity, people like don't talk, you know, frankly. Totally. And I love how candid she is about her sex work and her experience with sex work and doesn't shy away from it or pretend it didn't happen or it's not part of her history. And I think she's very interesting. I'll be curious to see what happens next with her as now Kanye is no longer part of the narrative, but I feel like she's going to be around. I, I mean, I think that you can appreciate this as like a lifelong New Yorker, right? That like, she is such like a like downtown kid in a way that is that type of person. And I think what was interesting to me and why I wanted to do this story basically was because it's like, it's been a while since like a downtown sort of personality has 
become super famous, like had the opportunity to become super famous. And I wanted to know like what that lifestyle looks like when it's under like, the scrutiny of being adjacent, like one of the most famous people in the world. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does. And yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I thought it was a great, great interview. Now, have you ever interviewed someone that you were like super nervous to talk to or like you just had to keep it together? That's everyone. I'm nervous all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, um, the, time, the last time I was like really, really nervous. I, I mean, I guess Zendaya because she's Zendaya. Oh, God. Um, like she's just so nice and fun and she's very shy too. So I was like, I don't want to be like too much. I was nervous for that one. I was nervous for... I was for Lori Harvey. Is Zendaya as beautiful in person as she appears to be in photos and video? That interview was done over Zoom, like a couple Zoom sessions. Um, and it is actually like upsetting that she's just as beautiful over Zoom, like <laughs> just sitting in her kitchen. I was like, what? Yeah, no, I, I was nervous for that one. I was nervous with Lori Harvey because she doesn't do a lot of interviews. And so I was like, not sure how it was going to go. Um, What's Lori Harvey like? She is like a black box to me. And you know, people ask me, they're like, oh, have you tried Lori Harvey's skin? And like, no, I haven't. Because I actually, she's gorgeous. Obviously, she's great to look at. But I don't feel any connection to her as a person. What was it like interviewing her? I don't want to be rude. It was very, I mean, you know, some people are talkative and some people just aren't. And that's sort of how it was. I, it was, a, it was, it felt like a very sort of stagnant conversation. And sometimes that happens, but it was a tricky one. I'll say. Yeah. Was she talking about her skincare? We were talking about that. We were talking about Michael B. Jordan. We were talking about like her life because she, she really does not ever do interviews. So no. there's like a lot of stuff that I just like, you know, kind of wanted to know. When she talked about her skincare, did she sound passionate about the skincare when she like talked about it? She definitely knows her skin and knows what she likes and doesn't like, which I really respected. She like told me about all these like, like a bad facial she got and how, which this is honestly a lesson that I am learning that like, you can't just let anyone touch your skin. Like you can't go to like any esthetician and say like, can you give me facial? Cause it really does depend on like, you have to just like know the person I think. And that was something that was important to her. And I was like, wow, I really get that. Also, she like has high representation especially as a black woman, I was like, of course, that's like my number one concern or maybe number two concern. Um, but yeah, I, the line itself, we like didn't really talk about because she was like still developing it or it was still kind of being tested. So I think she didn't speak very specifically in the way that I know you would want to know, like about the product line itself. Yeah. What do you think in general about all of these celebrity skincare lines that are popping up? I think fish oil. Are you kidding? This is, this is like, I think always the paradox for these celebrity skincare lines. It's like, why would I want to use something that JLo has developed or Scarlett Johansson has developed? Or why would I want to use that versus like what they actually use on their skin on like a day-to-day, night-to-night basis? Like, I don't think that being a celebrity gives you any sort of expertise on skin, just like on your own skin, which is fine. But no, I, I'm like very skeptical of them. And obviously I love Fenty Beauty, but like, I, I haven't tried Fenty skin because it's like too fragrance. And it just seems like this is like, this skin is a delicate balance and I really can't just put anything on it. And it's like, if I'm choosing between Scarlett Johansson and like Dr. Dennis Gross, I'm choosing Dr. Dennis Gross every single time. Right. It's so true. Are you a Beyonce fan? Of course. Am I breathing? Okay. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. I'm, I'm beehive, but 
I always ask myself, if Beyonce introduced a skincare line, would I buy it? I don't think I would. And that's really saying something if I wouldn't buy it. I mean, it, it really just feels like writ large in the middle of like this moment where everyone is like making skincare lines and they come to market too quickly too, I feel like in a way that I just don't really trust it. So for anyone, yeah, it's like there's no somebody that can, can, could convince me to like to try their beauty line, I think. The only, actually, well, the only one I want to try is Pharrell's and I haven't tried Human Race yet. Human Race is fantastic. And I really like the humidifying cream. That's wonderful. But he also worked with a dermatologist, my dermatologist, Dr. Elena Jones. So I need to get her back on the podcast. But that one was done very thoughtfully. And I think the humidifying cream is like one of the best moisturizers out there. I do want to hear your current beauty faves. Like what are the products that you were just obsessed with right now? Okay, I brought them up here. Um, the first, actually, let's do her first. The IS Clinical Super Serum Advanced Plus. This is like it's. You don't think you can't see it, but it's like we're almost done with this. Basically, I like got this facial, or actually, even before then, we'll say in September, I was like trying to cook. It didn't work. I like burnt my face. Like I had a little burn, like right here, and it was just like a, kind of a like darks and so I was trying to do everything to like lighten this like not scar but just like it was like a little bit like hyperpigmented and I got a facial and the facialist at Shawnee Darden in LA the facialist recommended this like serum which is like it's a hyaluronic acid it's vitamin c it's like some peptides but it's actually like, the best serum I've ever used like it replaced the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic which was like previously my favorite vitamin c which is also still a very good serum but I just thought super serum kind of rounded the corner in a way that I liked. So that's like, use this every morning. And then I also use like my sort of chemical exfoliant right now is this face reality mandelic serum. I got this from Sophie Pavitt's um, Bob office. Um, yes. And that I really like in the morning. It's like, it, it feels like my chemical exfoliant of choice right now because it just makes my skin very smooth. But I do sort of alternate between this mandelic serum, the... DDG peel pads and also the pixie peel pads that are at Target because they're way cheaper and also just as effective. And then on the beauty side, I feel like this was me. I feel like you recommended Ilia. Is that yes. how you say it? The yes. Ilia Beauty. So I love this blush, like lipstick. And yes. The shade Ladybird. I'm wearing it now. Oh, really? Yeah. I Incredible. Pop it on. It's so easy. I love it. It's like the perfect thing to put in my purse and just have all day and keep on me. Um, and then the last thing I'm like loving right now, which I only have a mini of for some reason is the say beauty mascara. Yes. Nice. I don't love, like, I don't have like a favorite mascara, but this one is, um, really good. That's great. And you know, it's so interesting about the minis. Cause even that Ilia cheek blush is a mini. I I'm obsessed with minis. Like I, if I can choose, and even if they were the same price, like I want travel sizes of everything. Cause I think one, <laughs> I get sick of things. And then two, I just like things that are like easy to pack, easy to throw into something. I don't know. I like love, I love mini versions of products. Like all of my eyebrow stuff. I feel like I always buy in minis just because I forget there's like a full size. No, I also think like, especially with how it's trendy for purses to be smaller now, it's like, Having a mini size of anything, just like automatically, I know it will fit. I don't have to like think about what bag I'm going to have today. That is also a great point. Now, I want to talk about you being at this very like prestigious 
magazine, New York Mag, um, writing all the time. You're pretty young still, if you wouldn't mind also just sharing your age. You decide, I am going to leave and do my own thing and monetize my writing. And I guess now it's becoming more and more conventional with more people creating Substacks. But talk to me about just that decision and what you've gained in becoming freelance versus working for a company full-time and what that's been like for you. Well, I'm 27. So I'd been at Vulture, I guess, from like 22 to 26. And I was like trying to do the math in my head very quickly, but that I think that's right. And I loved it. I had like a great time and I, I felt like I was getting a lot of like assignments I wanted. Like I, I didn't have any like major complaints. I think the biggest thing was that the pandemic happened and it's like the way movies were coming out, the way TV was coming out was already so upended that um, I started thinking about like, you know, how has my job changed because of the pandemic? Um, and then around that time, I would say I started wanting to do like more narrative writing, like more, you know, screenplays, more like TV stuff. And then also around that same time, Substack approached me just with an idea about like making a newsletter and what that could look like and and what it could be like. And I thought about it first as like maybe a part-time thing. And then I was like, well, my job has already changed a lot. And I still like writing for New York Magazine. I can still do that freelance. But why not like really take a chance, I guess, and like see if this could work and see, you know, what kind of, it sounds like corny, I feel like, but like what kind of community I could build or like how I could get like a deeper engagement with people who like the same things that I like and, you know, like the same memes that I like, I don't know. And yeah, I feel like too, I'd had such like a traditional idea of like my career before that, like both of my parents had had the same jobs for like 20 years, you know? So for me to decide, actually, I want to try this new thing. I want to like go on my own and see if I can work. It was something very surprising and sort of the opposite of how I'd always imagined my career going. But, um, but I thought if I want to move into TV, if I want to like write a book, if I, I need to take that chance on myself sooner rather than later. And then the newsletter just kind of seemed like financially and also just logistically the best way to do that. That's amazing. And you started hung up this incredible Substack newsletter. How did you decide what to charge? Because I think probably for people listening that may want to like monetize their writing, it would also help to kind of understand like financially what could be gained from using this approach. A few of my like friends and peers had already been on Substack in writing both paid and unpaid newsletters. So I talked to a couple of them and I mean, how I write at a price that it just seemed like $5 a month is like a low commitment. You can, you know, end at any time, obviously $50 a year feels like a little bit of a step up, but then also at the same time, it's like not too, too prohibitive. And it's also important to me that like, ha- like I'm definitely, I think that's like the average. I'm not like the most expensive newsletter on Substack, but I think having it be like a little bit cheaper than like the eight or $10 a month newsletters really lets like students and, you know, working young people, which is like, I think a key part of my audience, you know, have access to the newsletter. And then, and it, I mean, really at any time if someone emails me and they're like, I really want to read, but like I'm also a senior in college and just can't afford it. It's like, I'll get them a subscription, like, of course, because it's more important to like build that relationship. I feel like than to like shut someone out of, of what we're doing together. Totally. And how many followers on Twitter do you have, if you don't mind me asking? 
I don't know. You've got quite a few. Twitter's the one of those platforms that I am on as a lurker and observer and liker. <laughs> and like, I don't know how people like tweet and do Instagram. And like some people do all of the platforms and I'm so impressed. Twitter is the one where I'm like really slacking. I'm so bad at Instagram. It's just kind of like, I'm a parody of myself on Instagram, I feel like. Um, but no, on Twitter, it's just like, it's so fast that I feel like that's closer to how my my brain moves, I guess. But okay, I'm looking now on Twitter, I have 139,000. Okay, 139,000 followers that love you. They love your point of view. We love seeing what you have to say about everything. Now, say all that. Okay. No, no, <laughs> definitely. Now, and and I just think also for people listening, because I feel like I've been like really pushing this like creator narrative on people, but I want people to understand the like economic opportunity there. If you had a thousand people out of your 100K plus that said, raise my hand, I want to pay that $50 a year. That's $50,000 a year just from writing an email newsletter. And you have a lot more followers than, than a thousand. So I think it's amazing. I've talked to Darian on this podcast about the future of like media and writing. And I just like love that so many writers and also just like women of color are monetizing on their own terms and building their own communities. I think that's like the future of, of media and how we're all going to consume content. I think that's true. And I think something about something that Darian always brings up that I think is so apt. And so, I mean, she was even posting it the other day is that like the most important thing is to like find a journalist that you like, not necessarily like what outlet they write for, like following someone from place to place, I think is like a very important way to consume news because a lot of times it's like, it doesn't matter where Darian writes or where like, totally. I don't know. I'm thinking of like anyone. It's like, that the fact that I'm reading her is like what matters to me. And so if she's like writing a profile, I'm reading that. If she's writing like a newsletter, I'm reading that. If she's like writing a, a video for Instagram, I'm also like reading and watching that. Totally. That's how I feel about Taylor Lorenz, who I think now just left the New York Times and is going to the Washington. She's a tech reporter and all of her tech reporting is so good. I feel like when I first discovered her, she was at the Atlantic and then she's at the New York Times. And now she's announced that she's going to the Washington Post. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to follow you wherever you are. I think she also, Taylor Runs, writes a lot about like how the line between journalist and like internet creator are sort of shifting, especially with Substack, especially with like writers kind of making their own way that how those things kind of intersect is like becoming interesting. I mean, I think I'm writing about culture a little bit lower stakes and like writing about like like foreign policy or hard news or something like that. But um, but I think it's an interesting conversation for sure. Definitely. When you took that leap of faith to leave a job that you'd been at for four years where you were doing great work, were you scared? Were you nervous? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was so nervous. But then, I mean, I sort of felt like I've written still a lot of stories for Vulture, a lot of stories for like New York Mag in the last year and a half. So it's like, it didn't feel like that much really changed. It's just like the daily churn of it changed in a way. Um, so it wasn't like I was, you know, moving away. I'm like still in like the orbit, I guess. Right. Now I have to ask you about your braids and I'm judging just by looking at them that we have the same hair braider because I'm seeing this color blend and I'm I'm seeing- I thought you knew this. No, I go to the way because of you. She does the best braids, right? She really does. And these I got for a vacation. And I'm going back. I like, I don't experiment a lot with my hair because I feel like when it is in braids, like when I'm just doing like a like slick pack, it's like easy. But I think that she is 
Alicia is like trying, like kind of pulling me out of my shell a little bit. So I'm, I'm liking it. I love that. Well, she just gave me my first sew-in that like I haven't had a sew-in in a thousand years. And like, I've been loving it. We did like a kinky straight textured hair, but I love her salon in Soho. Um, and I love the way that Alicia does braids because they never feel like stiff or hard. Like, have you, like, I feel like in the past I've gotten braids and like, there's like this like heaviness, like the first few days they're so uncomfortable, but I love that you can leave her salon and like throw your braids up into a ponytail. And also, I always feel like it's like, I can't see anyone. Like I can't make plans like the first three days after I get braids. But like when I go to her salon, it's like same day I can go and like, I can go to dinner that same night. And it's like, oh, I don't feel so like, it doesn't look like straw. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel so like heavy, you know? I think that's important. And also I, I had like, I did, um, let me say this, I did human hair braids for a long time. And these braids feel like exactly the same, like, heaviness, which is like not at all, you know, like they, they still feel super like, I didn't know that you could do that with synthetic hair. Yes. You know what I think it is? And she explained it to me once. It's like low density. Like I think everyone else who was braiding my hair, there were just too many braids on my head and I needed like a lower density. So if you're not in New York and you can't go see Alicia the way, just when you get your hair braided, ask for like a lower density. Cause I do think that makes a huge difference. I think that must be it because I, and also I think the half moon part, I love also that Alicia like won't do knotless, that she's like very anti-knotless braids, but I would be too, because these feel like I've had all braids before. I didn't love them, but these feel the exact same like tension on my hair. I feel like. So true. And it's so funny because people will always be like, so your, your braids, they're like knotless human hair. I'm like, it's synthetic. It's not knotless, but they look great because the person applying it has like a point of view and they're doing it with love and intention. So I love that. Have you made beauty mistakes throughout your life? Like, are there things that as you look back, you think like, wow, what a huge beauty mistake? I mean, where do I even begin? Um, I do feel like something that my mom and I have in common and like always talk about is that we'll do like the craziest stuff, just like, just try the crazy stuff like for beauty. And again, mostly it's like in skincare stuff. Like I remember one one time my mom was like, and my mom like did... TV news for like 20 years. So like she like is like knows her products, knows what she likes, blah, blah, blah. But she was like, if you have like a good spot treatment, this was, I think I was 16. She's like, a good spot treatment is Bath and Body Works um, hand soap. And I was like, mommy, I don't think this is right, but like I'm desperate and I'll try it. And I put, I like used it as a spot treatment for like three nights, fully like got a chemical burn on my face because it was like too intense that was like a pretty formative beauty mistake for me. I also, this was like a year ago. I like became so obsessed with like under eye bags. And so I would dab on like my prescription retinol under my eyes. I did that for like a week. It was incredibly painful. Like truly was crying every morning. So it was like, so like it just burned. What else have I done? That was like crazy. I mean, I, I don't pick at my skin and that is because in the American Girl doll, in the American Girl book, the Karen Keeping of You, it said, don't pick at your skin. And I was like, okay, that's not allowed. But I will just like try different spot treatments and like kind of destroy my moisture barrier that way, which is like not good. I'm willing to like try anything, but I went to Mexico last week with my boyfriend and I like wanted to get tretinoin in Mexico because it's like cheaper there and you don't have to need a prescription. And I got like four tubes and he was like, you have to like, you should like talk to your dermatologist before you use it. And I was like, no, I've seen it on Reddit. It's like, 
it's easy. Like it's so he, he was more concerned about me messing up my skin than I was. Cause I feel like I'll try it. It doesn't work, but it doesn't work. Like, but I want to try it. Have you tried it? And what's it been like so far? I mean, it's just like my prescription, except even the prescription is like so expensive for tretinoin for like the gel, which I, I like the gel tretinoin is much more expensive than the, the cream. And I much prefer the gel, but yeah, in Mexico, you can get it over the counter and it's like for $40. Like it's such a good deal. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I have like taken a full break from tretinoin slash retinol. Like I haven't used it in forever. And I know it's the gold standard. I know it's so good for your skin, but I just like haven't used it in a million years. In terms of treatments, like if you're like, okay, I want to go and get something done. What do you do? Facials, massage? Are there any beauty treatments that you treat yourself to? Oh my gosh. I love a facial. Okay. Where do you go? And because I'm on the fence about facials. A lot of times I feel like, why am I paying for someone to like rub product into my face? But when there's like nice massage involved, I love it. I've tried a lot of facials and I think you're right. Sometimes it is like, I'm really just paying for like a, a nice like massage. But I do think that facial massage is like, it's very relaxing to me. It does feel like very rejuvenating. But at the same, I think there's sort of two schools of thought about this, that it's like some facials are relaxing and some facials for like a tutoring session where it's like, actually I'm just like talking to someone about what works for my skin and what I should be doing, what I need to change. For example, I feel like the Sophie Pavitt facials with anyone there are like tutoring sessions. Like I'm really getting like, like I'm asking what should I be using? What shouldn't I be using? What order should right. I use these products? And I love a facial like that. But then I also love like a, like Barbara Sturm facial where it does feel like much more very luxurious afternoon. I think both are very helpful. One is definitely much more cost prohibitive, but I did get facial actually <laughs> yesterday have you ever gone to Joanna Vargas, like the Joanna Vargas salon? Or No, but it's so interesting. One, they just reached out to me. So I'm curious what they'd like to talk about. But two, I was just staying at Sunset Tower and there's a Joanna Vargas spa in the lobby. So she's top of mind right now. Okay. I did not love the facial I got there. It was <laughs> fine. But I was like, this is way too expensive for what it what really just feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think getting facials is so fun. But at the same time, I, in the back of my head is literally Lori Harvey saying like, you can't just get a facial for anyone. You have to really do your research, know what you're like, know what you're getting, know what you're expecting. But I also feel like my skin has just been so congested just because like coming from LA to the holidays to back to New York, it's like, I'm really putting her through a lot right now. But no, I don't really do massages that often because I don't, I have one place that I like, but I just never, it always feels like too luxurious to get like a regular massage. I'm not like Carrie Bradshaw. I don't know, but I do use the Dr. Dennis Gross steamer a lot. And I think that like getting the DDG steamer really does make a difference because it, it just, it feels really good. It just, it just feels good. And it feels like my skin looks really bright after if I use a serum. Nice. Okay. I'll have to check out that steamer. Now we are talking a little bit about celebrity in LA. And I think, and maybe it's just because I've just returned back from a trip to LA, the fillers and Botox and like you, um, as you interview people, whether it's on zoom or in person, you see a lot of times the difference between how people may look in pictures versus like how their face actually moves as they're talking and animating. Have you personally observed people's faces that you interview or like speak to, you know, for your role that like they just have too much filler or like it just looks a little off. 
Yes. I don't want to say anyone's name, but the ones that I usually notice it the most are the men, like the men who've gotten Botox or the men who've gotten filler. And it's like, there's just a certain like waxiness. And I don't know if it's because like, they don't know what they want or like, they're not really like saying what they want to like address, but I feel like it's like the men that I'm really like, oh, I can see exactly what you've tried to make happen here. But the biggest thing that I've seen is you can tell good filler from bad filler. Yes. Like very easily. And it is kind of shocking. I, this is like weird. I know, but I am just like curious about this stuff a lot. So it's like um, my half of my Instagram explore page is like <laughs> Beyonce and Rihanna. And the other half is like those compare and contrast like celebrity accounts of like what plastic surgery someone got. Yes. And the fact that like a lot of famous people get really cheap filler and Botox is like crazy to me. I'm like, but you're a celebrity. Like, isn't there like a listserv to know where to go? Yeah. I feel like the other thing that I've just recently really learned, and I need to bring a plastic surgeon on to really have this conversation again, is that filler doesn't dissolve unless you dissolve it. So it just all kind of stays in your face, which is why a lot of people end up looking very puffy. I don't, I don't know where I thought filler went, but I didn't realize that it doesn't like dissolve on its own. Really? I didn't know that. I've seen like stories about filler moving in someone's face, but I, I mean, I guess that's what happens. I don't know. Yeah. I always, always just feel like, let me never get to that point where, or like, I hope I have friends that are good enough that tell me like, if I start doing weird stuff to my face, like it, this, I know you think it looks good, but sis, it does not, it's not giving what you thought it was giving. Everyone needs to have that friend in their life. That's like, that's like not the look for you actually. Like we need to, we need to do some, some reevaluation here. Absolutely. Now you mentioned your mom was on TV news. Was she an anchor? Yes. Um, she's not anymore. She left the news business when I was in college. Um, but yeah, so I think maybe that's where like my beauty sense interest in like experimenting comes from because she would just, you know, put on makeup all the time. And it's funny, I'm so bad at doing my own makeup, I feel like. And she's so like easy, good at it. Like it's like nothing to her. And I'm 27. And like, I, I still just cannot do eyeliner. I should, I, it's just now occurring to me that I should like ask her, but it is also funny now that like I live in New York and she lives in Oklahoma. We'll like text all the time about like, have you tried this? Have you used this? Like I got my eyelashes curled for the first time and she's like, that's kids. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Have you watched the morning show, which I just finished season two. I'm like very late to to discovering this show. Um, Have you watched the morning show? I have not watched the morning show and I need to. You have to watch it because I would be very curious, especially you should watch it, like co-watch it with your mom because it's all about the behind the scenes of life on like a morning news show. And I would be so curious if it lines up with people's experiences that have been in the business. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard, that show sounds crazy. (laughs) It is crazy. So like such a melodrama in a way, but like I'm down to clown. Yeah. You know, it's the first show that I've really watched Jennifer Aniston and I never watched Friends, which is like a weird cultural blind spot that I have. But I was like, oh, wow, Jennifer Aniston's like a really good actress. Like I, I, I really didn't know. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I also have never watched Friends, but I've like watched her in a bunch of movies and it's like, she's a really good actress. But no, I need to watch The Morning Show and Severance. That was the other show on Apple TV that I need to watch. I did just finish the Kanye documentary. Oh, so good. Okay. I've only watched, I'm on part two right now. And I personally, as a mother, I guess like a new-ish mom, 
one of my huge, huge takeaways has been around like instilling confidence in your child and like letting them feel affirmed in their talent and creativity. But I saw the like preview for part three and I'm like, oh, like it gets up to present day and I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah, I was not so into like part three. I think that like parts one and two, I mean, all the Donda stuff is like, the strongest component I feel like but no I'm curious I don't want to like spoil not that you can like spoil it obviously but I think it kind of shifts perspective in a way that I was not so into but the early footage is like is the most compelling part I think I think what's also interesting about the early footage is Kanye West was kind of who he was even at like 19 20 21 like even his early interviews I'm like this, this sounds like his interviews today there's like a consistency to hit like I think I think in my mind, I, I kind of made up this false narrative that like he became erratic at one point or he became really egotistical at one point. But he, there were always the seeds were always there. But that's that whole thing about what they say is like the dark side of genius, right? There are some people that are really gifted and that's always accompanied by some mental turmoil. But yeah, that was at least part two that I'm at now. I really enjoyed. This is like, feels so trite to say, but it's so crazy to like, watch Pharrell here through the wire for the first time, like watch Jay-Z like here. I can't remember what song he was playing in the studio with him. Was it Spaceship maybe? Like to, to hear them like watch, like to hear them listen to this music for the first time. And it's like, it's like fully formed, just perfect. Like it's exactly what's on the album. It's so, it's so good. I know he, he, he really is talented. Now, when you want to unwind and really have like a self-care moment for yourself, what's the first thing you do? I really like, um, I have this like ice roller that I like that like feels very like cooling and nice. I usually do like under my eyes, like my four, like my temples. Who makes this ice roller? I'm curious. It's like from Amazon. I think it was like $5. An um, Amazon ice roller. And it's just like, it, describe it for me a little bit. Cause I'm very intrigued. Oh my gosh. No, it's like, it's just this. It's like, Oh, I've seen people with these on the internet and I've been so curious. Okay. I love it. And what it's honestly really good for is hangovers. I mean, essentially it's like to de-puff, but I just like find it very relaxing. Yeah. And um, the cooling sensation is like really nice, especially if I'm in bed and like trying to wind down. But no, what else do I do? I don't really do like a lot of, I like don't like sheet masks. So it's never that. It's always like, doing the ice roller, a newer, new-ish thing in my life is like buying nice pillows. So I have like a lot of, I don't know, very like plush pillows that I like. And then just watching something like watching, watching Curb or watching Veep or watching something that feels like so, you know, easy to laugh at that it's like, oh, this is perfect. Yes. I love that. Now, because you write about TV is because TV is my self-care thing. Like that is like at the end of the day, I'm going to go watch TV after we finish wrapping this up. I think we're going to, we're going to continue with Ozark, I believe, which Ozarks, I'm like, I feel like I'm like scraping the bottom of the content barrel when I watch it. Cause like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm, we're, we're watching that and inventing Anna, inventing Anna. It's like entertaining, but again, have you watched it? It's not well done. It seemed a little bit too close to like Emily and Paris version of this story than like a real version of this story, if that makes sense. So I, I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. There's there's not a lot of great stuff out right now. So I'm I'm scraping the the bottom of the content barrel. But when you do write about TV full time, I would imagine as you're watching television, your brain is like firing off. It's not like for me, it's like I shut off my brain. But for you, it must also 
kind of tie into work a little bit, right? Times. I mean, I think now that I'm like doing the newsletter, it's like, I'm always thinking, oh, this could, this could be something I should write about this. Or that's like an interesting idea. And I think about that all the time. I, I, it's like, this sounds really like highfalutin and, you know, pretentious maybe, but it's like, I'm not ever like turning off my brain to watch something. Like I'm always just thinking about, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't feel like watching the movie or watching TV or listening to music. It's ever like a, a passive experience. I'm always like engaged. I'm always looking to be engaged in something, even if it, it's not always like succession. It is sometimes like love is blind. I think that is like sort of just the way that I consume stuff. Yes. I totally, I can, I can very much relate to that. I did say that I just like turn my brain off, but I am actively engaging with the content. So I appreciate that perspective. So Hunter, when do you feel the most beautiful? You know, I was thinking about this and I think it's when I'm like laughing a lot. Like when I'm just having fun. Like when I'm like making jokes, when my friends are making jokes. Um, I think that's when that's when I think the least self-conscious or like the least like the most myself. And that's when I feel the most beautiful, I think. Because it does feel like so divorced from any sort of ritual or practice or even aesthetic. It is just kind of like enjoying myself. I love that answer. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on Naked Beauty and sharing all of your beauty and just like life advice with us. I will link to um, your incredible newsletter so that everyone can subscribe and your amazing Twitter and your Instagram. Where you, what did you say? You said your Instagram is a parody of yourself. Yeah, it's like, it's not good. <laughs> I I enjoy, you, you post like once, once a quarter, we get an update, but um <laughs> If there is like, I mean, you'll understand this because you love Beyonce. It is sort of like the Beyonce school of social media where it's like, I'll post about holidays days late. Like, like Valentine's Day is whenever Beyonce decides it's Valentine's Day. Um, that's sort of like my guiding practice too. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Rick. This was so fun. So that is my conversation with Hunter Harris. Make sure you are all following her, subscribe to her newsletter. I hope you guys also, in addition to getting beauty tips and inspiration, got some inspiration for shows to watch. We all know that at the end of the day, great content is a wonderful way to unwind. And I'm definitely going to be checking out some new shows per her recommendations and just continuing to invest in me time, working full time, being a mom, doing this beauty podcast, also being a content creator. I have so much on my plate and I really do cherish and love that time to just like watch someone else's drama in life unfold. And TV does that for us in such a wonderful way. All right, everyone, I will be back next week with a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.